is what was supposed to happen. Welcome. I'm Jackie Simmons, the host of the Suicide Prevention Show, where we have fun and save lives. And we are going into both of those, especially on the fun part, because we're going to explore something that I don't get to talk about very often, which is secrets. Only in this case, it's not a secret. I know it's not a secret I could even share. It's a secret only your pet knows. And it's the secret your pet knows about your vet. I can't wait. All right. So without further ado, please help me welcome into the studio, Miss Cindy Gardner. All right. Do, 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 do. The magic is still working. Hey. Hi. How are you? <laughs> I beat you. You did. You did. All right. So I have to say that baby elephant walk really put me in the mood for this. That was so great. There, there, there's something about a baby elephant wearing pink high tops, you know. How can anyone not adore that? So it's so wonderful to see you. It's great to see you again, too. Yeah. All right. We are going to go into a realm that very few people ever go into. And before we take and um, satisfy people's curiosity about the secret that your pet knows about your pet, huh, tell us a little bit about you, Cindy. What are all your secrets? How did you end up doing what you do? Well, I'm a retired veterinarian. And I was retired at a very young age due to a car accident that cost me the use of my right arm and hand. And I was actually forced retired way before I really not too long after I, I got started. I was only about 10 years into practice when this all happened to me. And after spending probably close to 15 years in massive chronic pain. I did develop a chronic pain syndrome and uh, I had massive chronic pain, wore my shoulder as an earring due to the severity of the pain and the muscle spasms and dealt with severe depression. I mean, I'd lost everything I had worked for and Feeling like I had no hope left in life, I was blessed to discover a gentleman who, while we were at a seminar, he walked up to me noticing that I was walking around the back of the room in massive pain. And he says, you look like you're really uncomfortable. And I said, yeah, what's your first clue? pain on my face, the position, you know, and he says, I can help you with that. And I'm like, yeah, you're a total stranger. Is this legal, ethical, moral? And he laughed. He says, yeah, I'm a hypnotist. And right there in the middle of this whole big event, there were over 500 people at this event. He sat me down with everybody milling around and he hypnotized me. And I was out of pain like that for the first time in 15 years. And I knew instantly that's what I want to be when I grow up. I, my new career was going to be in hypnosis, starting with 
uh, helping people with chronic pain. And it's evolved into working with people with stress, anxiety, because those exacerbate pain so much and wreak their own havoc, even if you don't have chronic pain. And then that evolved into me working heavily with veterinarians and their staff. And it's just been an amazing ride. <laughs> well, we're going to take and, and take this train and roll it back up the hill just a little bit. Okay? <laughs> All right, we're going to take it back up the hill. How many years were you in school to become a veterinarian? Oh, gosh. I... Well, I did my standard four years of undergraduate, mm -hmm. and then I chose to do a master's in animal science. So that was another uh, three years. And then I did my four years of vet school. And that's, it's a long haul. The shortest you can generally get through is eight years. So 11 years of schooling. Uh-huh. 10 years of practice mm -hmm. and then gone. Uh-huh. It was just, I ran out on an errand one day from my office during my supposed lunch break, which by the way, veterinarians rarely get anything even remotely resembling a lunch break. And I had one of those rare moments and I took off, ran out to do an errand and got broadsided and that ended my career. The years of pain were not just physical. Oh, no. Yeah. Massively I mean, I'm, I'm emotional. Going, I'm going, we, we, we kind of sped past this. <laughs> I'm going, um, you know, I'm not buying it. Yeah. There, there's, and it's not because I want to pro probe your pain, but it's because I know where you are now. It's a safe conversation to have. It so is. for anyone listening, who is dealing with chronic pain, dealing with that stored energy from a sudden impact that changes your life. Take a deep breath. We'll keep it safe for you. Mm -hmm. And feel free to pop into the chat. If there's something we can do to support someone, if this is a little close to home. So um, just now with that disclaimer, everybody can pop into the chat with whatever you want. And let's keep going because you know, 15 years of pain is a lot to all of a sudden have the experience of no pain. Mm -hmm. So, and, and I want to yeah. reiterate something that you said. Um, there was a period of time where this conversation would not have been safe for me. But thanks to the treatment and care and hypnosis that I've received, it is safe for me to talk about now. And that's one of the things that I really want to make available to others. And yes, going from sitting in the back of the room and looking like this, and I, I, I was literally pacing, taking notes like this because I was too painful to sit. And this gentleman worked on me and going from this to holy cow I can it's gone uh, it was rather startling and it can be very confusing too 
And I just want to be clear, uh, the trauma and the damage to my neck didn't disappear like that. Mm-hmm. So uh, all of the, the injury and the damage, physical damage was still there. What this new tool gave me is a way to dial down the pain so that I can then physically move in ways and have the physical therapy that I had been undergoing for years work. And as a result, I don't sit like this anymore. (laughs) I get to move freely and I've regained the use of my hand. So it's not a miracle cure. It's using the power of your brain to reprogram yourself. And that's an important distinction. You know, we're not talking woo-woo here. We're actually talking basic neuroscience, which is- Neuroplasticity. Yeah, the brain is malleable. We can Mm -hmm. can reprogram it. And the fact that when you are under stress, whether it's from physical pain or emotional pain, you know, perception, our bodies can't tell the difference between real pain and perceived pain, between what's happening now and a memory of what happened. All of those things create a condition in the body that prevents healing. Mm -hmm. So when that condition changed and you were no longer in that place of stress, then everything you had been doing for 15 years to heal could actually work. Yes, exactly. I, I worked with creating new neural pathways in my brain to, first of all, believe I could do it. That was the basic part, to believe that I could change the status of my life. And that was probably the single hardest part of the whole thing. Once I got that belief ingrained in myself, the rest of the steps and the rest of the process was extremely simple. It wasn't necessarily easy, but it was extremely simple. And that's one of the things that I want people to understand on a very deep level is that this does not have to be a complicated process oh yes simple is the best okay so i'm going to name an elephant in the room and there are people who may not know this but i suspect that you do veterinarians have the highest suicide rate of any white collar profession yes why? And the technicians and the rest of their staff. Why? And it's rising. There are multiple factors. Uh, in my book, uh, When Good Enough is Perfect, it, I, I list in detail and explain uh, all of the the reasons why. We don't have enough time here for me to go into that kind of detail. So just understanding the degree of stress a veterinarian is under day in and day out. The fact that- Okay, wait a minute, hold it. You have to understand. My version of a veterinarian comes from all creatures great and small. James Perry carries a book. 
Hmm? I said, I'm sorry. <laughs> so, so from that, you know, very prosaic, I mean, granted there was some stress, middle of the night phone calls, this kind of thing, but it was not the chronic stress that I'm seeing in the industry here. Right. Right. The book is, it gives a very broad overview of what certain portions of the field are like. Mm -hmm. And yeah, we love playing with those puppies and kittens when they come in. That, that's wonderful for us. But that is such a minor part of what we do in a day. We are bound by regulations that are very challenging for us. And it's difficult sometimes for us to explain these regulations to a client when you're in the exam room and you've got a sick pet right here and you've got a distraught owner across the table from you and you begin talking finances and legalities and uh, emotions. When you tie those three things together, especially the finances and the uh, emotional involvement, that's a very volatile situation for most people. And trying to balance everything to do the best that we can for that pet. And this is the secret that the, the main secret that your pet would really like for you to know about veterinarians. And that is we go into it for the pets. We want the absolute best outcome for that pet. And between government restraints and owner restraints, we have a very challenging time doing what we know in our mind that pet needs. Okay, because so say more about this because I understand the pet owner restraints. I've been a pet owner. Yeah. I've been across the table from a veterinarian multiple times um, where there were decisions that needed to be made. Mm -hmm. Where does legality come into this? Oh, we are so regulated. Uh, many times people would love for us to just give them some medication and hope it works. Okay, well, legally we can't do that because we have to have a specific, and we're required to document all of this. We have to have a specific doctor-patient client relationship. Okay. All three pieces have to be there as documented. And when we are missing one or more of those pieces, then we are 100% liable for what happens to your pet. Even so, though I, I, I'm confused. I mean, okay. we're talking about the pets there. The, uh -huh. homeowner, the, the pet owner is there. The owner's there. And the veterinarian is there. So all three pieces are there. 
Okay, but all right, the finances. Let, this is just one example. Oh, okay. okay, finances limit what we can do, and when we can't do the testing, do the X-rays, do whatever it is needed to get a proper diagnosis. We have to work off of gut instinct on this. And obviously our medical knowledge with years of mm-hmm. training and our experience in the field. And if you guess wrong, you go broke. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Because it. the next thing that creates the challenge is then that person who feels that the veterinarian did not listen to them and their requests and say, for example, no, I can't do those tests. I can't do the x-rays. I can't do anything, but have you just look at it. And then the doctor works to do the best they can for that individual with the limited information they have. Got it. And the outcome doesn't go the way either the owner or the veterinarian would like, then the owner gets mad at the veterinarian whose hands were tied because had they been given the opportunity to do a better workup to know what was really going on. Okay. So you you guys are being asked to shoot in the dark a lot because of finance. Okay. Yeah. And that's just one simple example. So, and that's then where the next step in terms of what makes this such a difficult job with such a high rate of suicide, and that is bullying Hmm. and cyberbullying and bullying by clients is running rampant right now. And it's really sad because let's bop back to what your pet knows about your veterinarian. And that is that veterinarian wants to do the best they can within the parameters of all the legalities and the owner restrictions and everything else. They want the absolute best outcome for that pet. We don't always get it. And even when we do have all that information, we're working with a live critter that sometimes just simply doesn't respond in the standard expected way. And that's because each individual pet is so unique. And oftentimes we get told, oh, you're just in it for the money. And I'll tell you, that's one of the phrases that I hate the most. When I was in practice, I, when I heard that, it would devastate me because I knew why I was in that business and it was not for the money. It was for those little critters yeah. or big critters, depending on whether they're large or small animal. Well, given everything that you've just explained about the veterinarian industry, it sounds a lot like what I'm hearing the pressure of the medical industry is under as well. Yes. It, it is in many, many ways. Uh, insurance makes it a little easier for the MDs. Uh, we do have 
pet insurance. So, you know, that is something that pet owners, I encourage them to research and look into to Mm -hmm. take some of the burden off. But yes, MDs and especially nurses are being bullied and really taking the brunt of everybody's stress right now. And it has escalated beyond belief uh, during this COVID lockdown. Two things have happened that I'm aware of, which were you brought up when you said, I said something about veterinarians and you said something about and the technicians and the- oh, yes. In the medical industry, and they the have lots of studies about the suicide rate among doctors and none yes. about the suicide rate among nurses until just recently. And now they're banding about new words like compassion fatigue. Oh, that's not new. Well, it isn't. It is <laughs> the. It is it, to the general public. Yeah, it is to most of us. It is to the. I'm part of the rest of us because I'm not okay. in the field. Yeah. So for those of us who are not in the field, so how did it come about that you ended up full circle and you're back into working with veterinarians and their practices? I mean, you kind of got to get, you didn't get a get out of jail free card, but given all of the challenges of being a veterinarian, you got a chance to pivot out of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, actually, you, you were forced to pivot out of. I was going to say that that was not what I would consider an opportunity. <laughs> no, it was you were forced out, and it gave you a very different perspective. I mean, you yes. wouldn't be able to have the perspective you have if you had stayed in. Mm-hmm. Why did you go back in? Because my heart is still being a veterinarian. Mm. I'm still in that. That is me that that is who I am I can't serve the pets any longer um I spent 15 years not being able to use this hand effectively enough and honestly dropping scalpels into abdomens is something I considered very tacky so I did retire when I (laughs) all happened Uh, but then with my added information and education in hypnosis, neuroplasticity, and I don't know if you know this, but I am a certified compassion fatigue specialist too. <laughs> there we Interesting go. that yeah. you brought that one Hit up. Hit me with your best shot. There you go. I set you up perfectly. And I had you no set fun. me up beautifully. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, you know, and I, I'm also a, what I like to call a hypnotic coach, hypnotic life coach. And when I started just putting all of these things together mm-hmm. and seeing the incredible need in my peers in terms of the veterinary field, I, I saw the need and I saw a way to put it all together and create programs that I now offer to veterinarians See, I lost my. It just flew that. right out of your I'm, ear. Well, I'm I'm a very busy person, so that happens <laughs> to me occasionally. <laughs> but anyway, I saw I saw the need and a way to incorporate all of the skills that I have incorporated over the years, and 
so it it just came fairly naturally to me, at least in my mind, to develop programs using these skills for veterinarians and their staff. And once I get to a certain point in this, I'm also going to be offering it to uh, MDs and nurses and dentists um, who also struggle with the same or extremely similar issues. That makes perfect sense. And it's a lovely vision that you will be out and doing more in all of those arenas. We have such a shift that has occurred in the world where normal doesn't apply that anything that brings some stability, some peace of mind, some um, relief from Mm -hmm. the chronic tension and from the isolation, we can start Uh to believe that nobody cares, that nobody notices. And that isolation we know is deadly. It's not good for anybody. It's terrible. And I, I, want to point out too that that isolation is felt by veterinarians even when they're seeing clients in person because they see them only professionally only for a structured period of time Mm -hmm. and they're only allowed to uh, time-wise and everything else to communicate on certain levels with them and they don't get the opportunity for the positive feedback. For example, when a pet does respond the way that we want it to, uh, we don't hear about it. We just hear nothing from the client. Okay, pet got better since we didn't hear. We assume it was fine. Uh, But we hear constantly from the pet owners where the situation didn't go exactly the way all that right. planned. So it's all negative feedback. It well, it's not all, but it's such a high percentage of yeah. it. It's predominantly yeah. negative feedback that we end up receiving. And because, you know, the pet owners have a tendency to say, oh, thank heavens. I don't have to go back for another visit. She's doing so great. Mm-hmm. And they don't even call and say, hey, tell Doc she's doing really well and thank you. They ah. don't think that step. They just think, oh, good, I don't have to worry about that anymore. Yeah. And so the feedback that we get tends to be mostly negative. And that, that leaves that isolated, alienated feeling in your career because we all people in general have a series of personal needs there's basically five personal needs that each individual has and we have we all have them all Mm -hmm. but we have generally one or two that are predominant for us and these are these personal needs are what kind of guide our perception of life and if our personal and this is for anyone not just Mm -hmm. doctors yeah uh, you know if our personal needs are not being met to at least a reasonable degree then that sense of stress and dissatisfaction and feeling 
disjointed, et cetera, can really become overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And when that happens, we end up creating personal isolation for ourselves. In addition to those being put on us by external forces that we have no control over. And one of the things that I strongly encourage people to do, because so often, I know it was very true in my case, <laughs> we don't understand what our personal needs are. And All if you right. don't understand them, how can you make sure they're being met? Well, yeah, I mean, awareness is the key to everything. So from Absolutely. a place of helping us become more aware, Cindy, what are the five personal needs? <laughs> well, I also have a free gift. I know. That, Don't worry. We got you okay, covered there. You got that. Um, well, the personal needs are freedom, competency. Uh, I can't believe I'm going to do this. Self-expression. There we go. Um, Funny that you choked on self-expression. Ah, uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that that actually is so security. Mm -hmm. And um, oh my gosh, nothing like being put on the spot right now. Freedom. You were okay, let's let's take out each one, and we'll okay. get to. It. And, and when I get to that one, I'll know what I haven't covered. Mm -hmm. Okay, freedom. The freedom, freedom is freedom. Just they have a need for freedom. They think, oh, creativity. Thank you. That's the other one. They think outside the box. And they don't like heavy rules being placed on them. They that that gives them a sense of restriction in their okay. mind. And when you compare that to the security person who those same rules give them a sense of security, they give them a framework to work in. You can see how the same environment for one person would be, oh my God, I know how to go do this and I know how to get it done right. Why do I have to follow each and every one of those steps when I know a way to get around it and get it done? Were you following me around in math class? <laughs> you know, I mean, this is like, really, you want me to show you the steps? It's going to take so long. And yeah, it's like, <laughs> I, I know how to get the answer. Let me just get the answer. Yeah. Okay. Whereas that same exact structure for a person who is security and safety based as a, where that's one of their personal needs that gives them the framework and the structure to build what for them is a flourishing life. Now, one of the important things of important parts of knowing your personal needs and be able to read the personal needs of others is that I'll use myself as an example. My parents both were strong security people. They needed structure. They needed 
the the guidelines. They wanted a roadmap to get everywhere. And they were extremely successful people. But that structure was very important to them. I, on the other hand, am very freedom oriented. <laughs> and I did not know this until I and I would have when I was given the five to uh this the go through the review guide i i had in my head exactly what i thought my response was going to be <laughs> nope <laughs> doing the actual steps of figuring it out was a real eye opener for me and that's when i discovered that i am definitely a freedom person and all of those structures and rules that were so important to my parents drove me insane. And they considered me to be a rebel. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was the rebel kid. And when in fact, I have my, my brain functions differently. I... I see things differently than they did. And it's important to embrace everybody's differences in that. And your personal needs will often shift at different stages of life. Ah, there we That's, go. Yes. So it's important okay. to reevaluate them periodically in life. Well, and that's oh. very different than most assessments out there. Most yes. assessments measure something that is a little more static, yeah, uh -huh. a little more fixed. Right. And your fascination with neuroplasticity, I am not a bit surprised that you have something that actually is something that changes and you know uh -huh. that it's going to change, that your needs yes. are going to change. All right. So we covered freedom and we covered security. Okay. So let's come back Belonging. into- belonging Where yeah i okay i forgot belonging uh so there's freedom I, I i you know if i wasn't on live video here i would Take be rattling the off i know oh, i watched yeah I come on you've got tools and oh. you're calm and confident i was watching your show it was great i loved it so Freedom, security, belonging, safety, and uh, self-expression. Those are the five. Ah, yeah, I told you okay. once we got to actually talking about. Yeah. Okay. So, so That's cool. Belonging. Mm -hmm. All right. And belonging is for some, that's someone who really is a team player. It's important for them to have a group of people that they feel comfortable in. And honestly, during this last year, these people who are naturally belonging people have suffered the most because they've mm -hmm. been kept apart from their groups. These are also great team members uh, at work mm -hmm. and they're they don't want to be the boss those are the competency people 
Oh, we haven't gotten. Well, we, yeah. Okay. Oh, so. know, I'm going all over the place. I do that. Well, Can yeah, I know. And I'm, I'm going to pull you back based. in. Okay. <laughs> you are freedom based. So there are no rules. Got that. But where I want to know is, is competency under security? No, or it's is, its own. It's its own thing too. So. Okay. So well, now we're freedom. I know I do yeah, that. Yeah, to people. you're going to do it to me. I get it. I am. I think I that to go safety role. and security. Are they the same thing? Safety and security are the same. Okay. So that's that where the I, confusion came. Is that where I yeah. confused you? Sorry. That's where you confused me. Yeah. Safety so and competency are the same. is its own thing. Competency is its own thing. And that's oh. the, I think of the, the surgeon who is very, he knows, he or she knows that what he does or she does is critical, okay? Mm -hmm. And they can be in a life or death situation, which veterinarians often are on a daily basis, by the way. And that's, I thought that was going to be my top one because I really like to know that people appreciate what my competencies are. They see me as competent. They, they develop a feeling of trust from me Mm -hmm. that I know what is best for their pets. And that's another area where this last year in particular has really hit these individuals and that's because yeah. so it's- much doubt. There's been so much misinformation. And I'm not going into which direction yeah. is misinformation or which is misinformation, period. Yes. It, misinformation is running rampant these days. So it has created doubt in yes. the competency of doctors. And, and that's yeah. really sad. And that hits them at their deepest place. Oh, I get it. Because yeah, I'm yeah. thinking of medical teams, and yet I understand a doctor has a team who supports him, Yes, but the doctor is known for their own competency. Mm-hmm. As is each team member. Right. They want yeah. to you know, be. So the belonging person doesn't want to be the leader. That's mm-hmm. your competency person. Got it. And they want to be a part of the team that supports this competency person. It doesn't mean they don't have competency in their own area as part of the team. We all have a little bit of everything, a little bit of everything. And that's one of the reasons why it can shift at different stages of life and different times in your life. That makes sense. Yeah. Cool. All right. So we've sort of covered freedom and security and competency and belonging. That means we are left with self-expression and I'm assuming creativity comes. Creativity and self-expression are together there. And this is the person that on, on the handout that I give to people sometimes when I work with them on this individually. I have a picture of a nurse 
with multiple colored hair. And she is her own self. She is expressing herself. Self-expression, even within the confines of the rules of the doctor's office or hospital or whatever, that's her little breakout Mm. thing where she says, I get to express myself in this way. Got it. And this can be somebody that, for example, loves flowy dresses or a gentleman who likes to dress very flamboyantly. Uh, It can be... And typically artistic type of people fit into this category Mm -hmm. and they want to be able to share their talents, even if they don't feel safe and secure getting out there and doing it. So, so think of the person who lives in a very, a rural area, for example, and does the amazing artwork that is their style that they love. They send it off to someone else to be the front person and be the face of their work. They are the ones that are that self, sorry, they are the ones where self-expression is their primary need. And, and I'm thinking that's where self-expression and security, those two together would show up. I yes. can express myself and I don't have I to can. expose myself to ridicule right. or criticism or mm-hmm. whatever. Um, and that's really where self-awareness is really useful. Yes. Yeah. And, and this is all about self-awareness. And then this goes off into the emotional intelligence area. These, these are kind of some of the bases that you learn about yourself so that you can increase your emotional intelligence, which has been determined to be a much more important factor than um, the IQ. So the EQ is more important in IQ when you're measuring the success of an individual. It was really interesting. I started doing some research into this recently, both into learning and into um, what are the markers that could accurately predict success. And it's shocking um, what I was raised to believe were the markers of success. Have yeah. like they, They're really poor predictors, mm-hmm. yeah, really poor predictors. And it is the ability to connect, to bond, to cooperate, to feel connected, these are much more indicative, apparently, is the, the yeah. studies that are coming in. Self-awareness mm-hmm. is the first one. Self-regulation uh, is mm-hmm. second. Yep, that's and your then, you. Uh-huh. Then uh, that's your personal part. And then public awareness or awareness of others. Mm-hmm. And then the ability to manage groups. Yep. And, and those are the four pillars. Groups or manage yourself within groups. I'm a little confused. Um, it's, it's a combination because 
managing yourself is in is step two. Right. But for okay. a leader to uh-huh. manage a group, yes, they need all four. Oh yeah, no doubt at all. No right. doubt at all. What we're so finding, that's moving yourself yeah. into a leadership position would be very interested in all four mm-hmm. steps. And 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 that's critical. I mean, as I'm certifying talk leaders and looking to work with teens who are willing to perceive themselves as leaders to take the talks that save lives into the world, mm-hmm. I'm finding that leadership is very misunderstood. So it sent me back very. to educating myself. On this. It's not bossiness. Well, no, definitely <laughs> not. Definitely not. Oh, but I am going to be highly directive for just a few minutes because we okay. have yet to reveal the secret that the pet knows about oh, that. No. I want to highlight it more. You want to highlight it. Okay. I want to highlight it. I don't want anybody to say, but I watched this whole thing and I didn't get it. So let's open it up just a little more because I heard it. And then we went on so fast because this has been such a juicy conversation. Sorry, I get going. (laughs) I don't know what you have to be sorry about, but I'll accept that. Okay, so the secret that your pet knows is that even though your veterinarian is in it 100% for Okay, probably not 100%. We've got to have a little room for making a living for ourselves. But they are in it heavily for caring for the individual pet. Their stress level is so high right now because of the challenges of being a practicing veterinarian. So that's been true for veterinarians for a really long time. It's not it a new thing. It's no. it's the statistic that was really scary. Um, one of my friends. It's actually, terrifying. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's all she does is 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 help veterinarians redesign their practices so they can actually survive in them. Mm-hmm. And the power of this. So what the pet knows is that. The veterinarian was not equipped for the job emotionally in many cases. In many cases. And they're still in it for the pet. So the pet Mm -hmm. knows the veterinarian's really in it for them, even though they may not come across that way because of the stress. To the owner. To the owner, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes. Uh, And they still, there's a definite trend of improvement here but they still don't teach the people skills and the emotional skills in school that are necessary. And that's why someone like me who can work with these individuals, uh, it becomes so important after they graduate. And I get to take all of that beautiful knowledge and passion that they graduated with and their excitement for going forward in this amazing career that they have dreamed of and worked hard for all their life and turn it into something that they can keep their passion for 
And one of my taglines is, I help them move from frazzled to dazzled by their lives. <laughs> I like that. I like that a lot. All right. So we have dropped in the chat for you all the guide for your personal needs, a personal needs review. And I really appreciate the fact that it's a simple step-by-step -step process. And so that's for everyone. Take advantage of that. It's not just for veterinarians. It is no. applicable to everyone's life, just like mm -hmm. understanding the five needs and the four pieces of leadership. Right now, we are all in a position where we have to be able to lead ourselves, yes. especially with the work at home model. You know, mm -hmm. we don't have the structures. Anyone who needed a lot of structure has also been struggling. So there's probably not a personal needs that wasn't impacted by this. And right. for some of them, the autonomy, I mean, somebody whose thing is freedom, the autonomy of being in a virtual world. Yeah, you love it. I can, I can see that you absolutely love it. So yeah, it's ideal for me. Yeah. And so there's no perfect, good, bad, up, down. What's right for one is not right for all. Yeah, there's no right or wrong in this. The greatest Every thing. one of them is equal. It's just about understanding who you are. Awesome. Perfect way to end that. Cindy, thank you so much for being willing to come on the show and take thank us on you. this journey. Yeah, it's thank an arena. Oh, Cindy, you're very welcome. It's an arena that most of us, if we're not in the field, we don't recognize it in the field. Yeah. So mm -hmm. how would we know? How would you know unless people like me get out there and share it? There we go. <laughs> Thank you for sharing your time. Thanks for the opportunity. I really appreciate it.